do I want to hurt them? No. Why would I want to hurt them? Then I'd be hurting me. When I truly connected with that, I became their champion. And I can honestly say that I am my father and my mother's champions. Because God knows that shit's got to stop. And it stops with us. We are the ones who break the cycle of abuse. That's in our power to do so. That's my belief. That was Anne Boulieu, and this is The Recovery Revolution. It's time for The Recovery Revolution podcast, and it is unlike any recovery podcast you will ever experience. This is next-level recovery transformation featuring the most influential minds in addiction, recovery, sobriety, mindset, and entrepreneurship. We are transforming the stereotypical mundane process of recovery into one of finding your own personal path to empowerment. This podcast will revolutionize the way you look, feel, and talk about recovery. This is The Recovery Revolution. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Recovery Revolution. And today we have Ambulu joining us on the show, and she is just incredible. This episode is going to knock your socks off. Her story is incredible. It is mind-blowing that she is alive today. She is truly a survivor. She is a warrior. She is an incredible woman. She's a fighter. I'm grateful to call her my friend today. This is a story of surviving abuse that goes beyond anything you could ever imagine. So let's just get right to it. Let's dive into Anne's story. But first, a quick message from our sponsors. We are all addicted to something, money, success, food, drugs, alcohol, and even our problems. These addictions hold us back and prevent us from tapping into our greatness. My name's Omar Pinto, and I'm a life transformation coach, addiction recovery specialist, and lifestyle entrepreneur. I help people transform their business, family, and personal life every single day. So if you want to find out what's holding you back from living a life of fulfillment, success, and happiness, go to www.omarpinto.com and schedule a free consultation with me today. It's time to transform your life. Today's episode is brought to you by the RRC, the Recovery Revolution Community. The RRC is our private recovery membership group that features online meetings, online support, accountability, peer-to-peer recovery support, and coaching. The Recovery Revolution is more than just a podcast. It is a support network helping thousands of people all over the world. So for more information about the Recovery Revolution podcast or how you can join the RRC, then go to omarpinto.com and get plugged into the Recovery Revolution today. And if you haven't done so already, be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It's the best way to show your support for the podcast. And speaking of amazing reviews, this next one comes from South Africa. Shaka 20, 365 days sober. Dear Omar, I could not have done it without you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for availing such brilliant resources. 
As soon as I can afford USD, I'm signing up for your life coaching services. Nan hala hala, South Africa. Shaka 20, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. It just blows my mind the reach of the recovery revolution and the power of solidarity. HP, baby, this is the recovery revolution. Hello, Anne. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Omar. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. All right. Excellent. I am very excited to have you on the show. How are you feeling? I am feeling great. As we saw from that post-talk that we had, it was a pre-talk, I should say. Feeling good. Yes. Happy to be here. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. I'm going to try this again. Okay, folks. So today we have Anne Boulieu joining us on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. All right. Did I get that right? Yes. All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So <laughs> funny. So, folks, uh, for decades, Anne built the perfect image and hid from the world. She actually hid from herself. She did not know what a healthy relationship was. I thought others might like me less if they knew what happened to me. So I moved inside my head. I locked myself in an intellectual armor that let no one close to my heart, not even me. I was far from being emotionally healthy. Sound about right, Anne? Sounds, yeah, pretty right. Okay. It, it is. Right track. Okay, so we're going to do a lot of dipping and diving, but I'm curious as to one part of this intro, which is, I thought others might like me less if they knew what had happened to me. Is that something that you would share with us, what happened to you? I, I can. Okay. I am, but I need to have a caveat. Okay, give us the caveat. Uh, the the audience needs to know that uh, if I do share, the images can be quite graphic. And I've and they, um, as someone said to me, I needed therapy afterwards to remove those images from my head. So it's um, so I just need to know, have your permission that it's okay, and I'll go ahead, and you can stop me any moment and say, okay, we're done here <laughs> on this topic. I am all in. Bring it on. Okay. I grew up at the end of a dirt road. Uh, We were financially very poor. I'm the fifth one of six children. You would say, well, many people, it happens. What was special about my normal was that my mother, my whole childhood, was pregnant with a child of Jesus Christ. So I didn't compete with my siblings, I competed with ghost children for my mother's attention. She was literally crazy, but as a small child, I had no idea because that was my normal. So I saw my mother being pinned down, literally pinned down as they're trying to take her away because she flew off her, like her handle. And she would disappear, what's called disappear, For months at a time, basically, she would be um, put into a mental institution and then she'd come back that gave her electric shocks and all that stuff. And the last time she came, came, when she came back, they had fried her brain to such a level that she was almost, if any, capable of any human emotion. I was nine years old. Wow. So that's her. You would say, well, where was her father? My father was um, that sort of man 
who sat in his garage one day and looked at the winter tires in the corner and thought, you know what? I'm going to take that tire and I'm going to carve a whip mm. out of it so I can break my children's will. So I don't have to watch Roots. I know the sound of a whip on the flesh and I know how much it hurts. If that was not bad enough, which it was, I was sexually assaulted. I was gang assaulted at the age of six and a half years old by a bunch of 15 year old teenagers. I was sexually molested by my maternal grandfather, by my father's brothers, by my father, by all of these people. So much. I had ejected at such a young age. My mentor told me I pretty much emotionally ejected from the moment I came out of my mother's vagina. <laughs> that was how he put it to me. Oh. I had no idea what love was, mm. no idea what safety was. So I did the one thing that I thought I could do. I went inside my head and I decided at that very young age, I'm going to be so F smart that I'm going to see you come in. I'm going to figure you out and I'm going to overpower you before you can hurt me. Now, can you imagine the sort of relationship I attracted because of it? Wow. Wow. This is fucked up. That was my normal. And I took it as normal. That's, that's the thing I want people to get right now. Our normal is whatever we think that we grew up with. Whatever we grew up with, that's our normal. And our normal is individual to each one of us. There is no such a thing as normal when you think about it. What is normal? It's whatever we know. And who says that what we know is healthy? For many people, addictions is normal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The whole idea of it is what it is yep. is all based on perspective and based on your surroundings. And this yep. is this this is amazing. Okay, I wasn't expecting that right from the gate. <laughs> that was that was hardcore right from the gate. <laughs> I did it. I did come with a caveat. Yeah, thank you At for least, that. At least I am learning to, I've had intensive therapy, so I can, I can feel it. I can dip into it, but, as it, but I can release it. It has lost its power over me. Now it is a tool to help others because I can dip in someone's mind in their darkest corners and their darkest pain, and I can walk with them towards the light. Because I have embraced those dark sides within me and I have made peace with them, which is what is inner peace, what is freedom. I, I freed myself from those things. All right. Well, there's no way to start from the beginning on this one. So I'm, <laughs> let's just, we're going <laughs> to, it's like, I can't, I can't start with it. I can't move into fluffy questions. So... You know, this is this is fascinating, and um, for for any of us that have uh, suffered through traumatic events and come out the other side, there is this warrior that is born. There's this warrior that emerges. 
Um, and so, and it takes a long time before it's a healthy warrior because, uh, from what it sounds like at first, uh, she was very, very angry and was, was out for blood, right? And totally understandable, totally understandable that I don't know what to do here. So the only thing I know how to do is just be hard, is just to protect myself in any way that I can. Um, I started thinking about Viktor Frankl's book, you know, um, A Man's Search for Meaning. And it, 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 so it just provokes so many questions. Um, the thing, what's, what's very interesting to me here is how you say, I can dip into it. I can dip into it, but then I can release it. So how do you do that? When I, you know, when you said that I was hard, I was hard. For me, I was like brain, and at that time, brain trumped heart. So therefore, I approached everything intellectually. And I didn't even know I was hard. That's, that's how fucked up it was. I was, if you had asked me, I was a nice girl. Nice girls are, ter- like, are terrifying because I was full of rage. I had no idea I was full of rage. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I had ejected so early. I was in full denial. And if you've ever seen the movie The Matrix, I met Morpheus. And Morpheus, he made a crack in my head. And and when in all my rage, but instead of the light shining through, I had to release all that rage. It was a tsunami of shit of epic proportion. I felt all the memories that I had buried, they kept, they came surfacing faster and faster, and I had to feel them. But I had no compassion. I had no compassion for that little girl. I would have told you those stories in the past. Like I would say, mm, I'm going to have chicken or beef. Let me see. Let me think about it. I was that disconnected at the time. And when all that rage came out, people were afraid because I started, uh, I, I became public about it. I realized that if I owned my shit, if I owned my rage, my anger, all of it, then I could overcome it. But that's not a healthy warrior either. It's just a part of it. It was just that that owning because I had no compassion. It was just, I'll tell you how it is. But there was a lot of finger pointing, a lot of blaming, a lot of shaming. And, and it came to the point where uh, I remember friends saying, like, telling my, my Morpheus, like, you know, it's it's holy, holy shit, basically. Well, what's going to happen to this woman? Like, I don't think she can pull through. I lost like 20, you know, they call it dark night of the soul, call it what you want. But I lost 25 pounds over a frame that couldn't afford it within three months. I burned. You know when you burn from anxiety and you burn, you say burning karma? I burned for five months solid, day and night. I was burning. Like if I had a, like a hundred, like, like 43 degree fever, I just kept burning. And, and, and I was like burning through all that negative fuel. And to the point where and I kept dropping and dropping and dropping into that dark abyss. And people thought, pull out. I had friends, pull out. What are you doing? Pull out. And I was like, no. At the bottom, there's that little girl. So that's what my voice brings. That little girl. I need to retrieve. That's my connection to my soul. I need my soul. I need to feel again. And I dropped and I picked up this child and I crawled out of that hole 
with compassion in our heart. In my heart, I say our heart because it's for all of us. Because compassion is what allows us to crawl out of our emotional hole. No amount of money, credential, brains, success, accolades can ever fulfill that emotional hole. We're the only ones who can do it. And we do it, we fulfill it with compassion. That's the key. All my work is around compassion. It always comes down to compassion. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't you happy you invited me? (laughs) I am so far down the rabbit hole. I feel like I'm just looking up. (laughs) Hey, Alice, how you doing? (laughs) What What a magnificent story. And it's just, it's so hard to fathom um, this is the kind of things that you see in a, in a, you know, one of those horror movies where something like this happens to somebody. Um, and it kind of reminds me of that movie, uh, Brave One, with, um, oh my goodness, Jodie Foster. I saw it. She, she, she gets gang raped. Um, and she also, and, and her husband is there watching and he ends up dying, right? And she becomes this scared rabbit inside of her apartment. And she starts to go public. She's on the radio. She's a radio broadcaster. And she starts to get really very dark on her, on her show. And they're like, okay, so maybe it's too early for you to come back, right? Because she, she hasn't learned how to process all these emotions. They're just starting to come out. And they're, 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 they're just surfacing and they're coming out. And they're surfacing and they're coming out. And then she goes on a homicidal rage where she starts killing. <laughs> she starts killing people, and you know. And as the as the watcher, you're like, yes, yes. Are you go kidding out there. me? <laughs> go out there. That's you. That's you. <laughs> and it, it is. It is. It's like it's almost like you want justice for her, right? And and I'm listening. But what to is you. justice? Right. No. And and yeah. and that's that's a great question because you know as I'm listening to you tell your story, I want justice for you. Um, and how do you, how, that's a great question. How do you define that? How do you define justice? In the past, I defined justice as someone's got to pay. Yeah. Whatever that looked like. Someone had to pay for what happened to me. Yep. I never mind that I didn't look at what I did to others. <laughs> it was one-sided, full victim. Uh-huh. Someone had to pay. And... I realized something. You know, I talked about compassion. What made my father sit in his garage one day and think of doing that? Was he born like that? I doubt it. You've ever seen a baby being born? He was taught. Who taught him that? My father was the eldest of uh, 10 children, uh, born right in 1935 at the age of nine years old his father died his mother and said to him you're gonna earn a living for all of us he was nine years old he had to leave school and become a logger you know the people who work in the woods that does this tough work the logging what do you uh-huh. think it did to his logging what do you think it did to his psyche what it did like when when i started see like having empathy 
starting seeing what could have happened, running scenarios. And the more scenarios that I ran, what made my mother nuts? Was she, was she, was she born like that? Turned out her father had raped her. So it was just history repeating itself. She had never healed herself. She had seen her 15-year-old friend being raped by her father, impregnated by her father, and that, that her friend died in childbirth. And back in those days, they covered, the birth, they covered the death. It was just said, you know, she had whatever. My mother never got over that. During every cra- you say crazy episode, there would be truth coming out. Truth, like for her, what, what was truth? So when I started seeing, running all these scenarios, I started seeing these people in myself. It, like they live inside of me. Do I want to hurt them? No. Why would I want to hurt them? Then I'd be hurting me. When I truly connected with that, I became their champion. Mm. And I can honestly say that I am my father and my mother's champions. Because God knows that shit's got to stop. And it stops with us. We are the ones who break the cycle of abuse. That's in our power to do so. That's my belief. 17 minutes into the episode and we're already dropping them. I'm already dropping the mic. Walks off the stage. Thank you very much. Good night. It's like, good Lord. No wonder you're a speaker. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Powerful. I'm so glad I got you on the show. Um, And this is, this is, I mean, when you, when we talk about, and my listeners, are, are uh, many of them are recovering drug addicts or in the depths of it right now. So deep, so lost, so scared, so hopeless. That's that, that feeling of hopelessness, you know, you know, lost and so, so deep into that hole, into that abyss that they see no way out. And there's been so many that have ended up committing suicide. There's so many that contemplate suicide. Um, and the only thing that prevents them from doing that in many cases is you know, I've got to choose between all of these feelings that I have right now and not and, and being so overwhelmed and, and unable to process or deal with these emotions, I either kill myself or I do more drugs. And, you know, I, I, I was there. You know, thank God I did the drugs, right? Or I wouldn't, I wouldn't be here today. So I'm curious how addiction has played a role in your life. <laughs> Let's define addiction. Okay. Uh, to me, an addiction is anything that is detrimental to mm-hmm. the human spirit. Because when I speak about addiction, people think drugs, mm-hmm. sex, rock and roll, mm-hmm. stuff like that, gambling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was addicted to pleasing others. Mm-hmm. I was a doormat. I wanted people's approval. If someone didn't like me, I went all frazzled. I went in full overwhelmed. If someone rejected me, holy shit, I cried for hours. What did I do wrong? What is wrong with me? Everything was, I was wrong. They were right. I was addicted to feeling responsible for everyone and everything around me because I grew up with people telling me that I was a little bitch and that everything was my fault. I... I was addicted. When I went inside my head, I have 
<laughs> I'm going to take a, I need compassion right now. <laughs> I have 18 degrees in certification. Good Lord. And many people, they say, I get dizzy just reading your, your, your resume. Mm-hmm. But that's a sign how crazy I was that I wanted to show the world that I wasn't crazy like my mother. I, I wasn't violent like my father. But I, I did the same. I did the exact same thing. I just did it differently. I hurt myself the same way they had hurt me. And I hurt my children the same way that I had been hurt. I blamed, I shamed, I made them responsible. I used to look at my children and say, oh, you are my everything. Without you, I am nothing. Can you imagine the poor kid? (laughs) No, just look at them. I love you. Have a great life. I'll take care of me. You look after you. (laughs) And they love me for it. Because they don't have, they never, like, they don't have to worry about me. So they can focus on their own recovery, on their own. How old are your kids? 24, 22, and 18. Good <laughs> Lord. And the years have been good to you after all that shit went down. <laughs> the thing is, people look at me and they're like, you look so young. Yeah. I'm in my 50s. Good. You're older than me? <laughs> Holy cow, that's incredible. I don't know how old you are, but I'm in my 50s. I'm 48. And, and, uh, <laughs> I have quite a few years above you. <laughs> that's incredible. And I always tell people, they're like, well, what do you do? I, you know, I just slam like daily cream. It's not even brand name. I, I, I never wear foundation. I barely wear makeup. And uh, when I say what's my Botox, I clean the shit inside. What makes us old, physically old, I truly believe this. It's my belief, by the way, is our internal intoxication. It goes through our physical body. What we think, what we feel, the, the physical body is the last line of defense. So our physical body, it stores everything, all our memories, all our feelings, all our emotions. We must release that crap. Otherwise, it's backed up. And when it gets backed up, you've ever seen a toilet backing up? Oh, it's filthy. I'm curious though. So, was there ever a time where you used drugs or alcohol or something, food, cigarettes, oh, something to I soothe did. yourself? I did. Of course, I did. I didn't even know I had a problem. At 16 years old, I entered university and uh, I got drunk on Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, three nights a week. Drunk, and I mean drunk like I'm in the I'm in a club with a fake ID and I'm puking, you know, down, down the toilet somewhere. And, and, but I didn't even know that I had an alcohol problem back then. That, you know, addiction, it's always a finger, but others have addictions. I don't. That was my line of uh, thinking back then because I had never been taught to examine my own beliefs or to examine everything that I, that I held as truth. And I remember... At 20, I got so drunk, 
and I puked so hard that I actually burned my vocal cord and I couldn't talk anymore. I think a lot of people can relate mm-hmm. to that. And I went to the doctor, not understanding what was happening to me. I had literally lost my voice. And the doctor shook his, like he shook his head and he looked really sad. I couldn't even understand why is that dude sad? I don't even know that dude. And, and he was like, you're, you're so young. Like you, you're wasting your life. Like you got to stop drinking. He says, if you don't, the next time you binge like this, you might lose your vocal cords forever. It is that bad. It will take one year, one year for you to, to heal those cords. And he says, if you ever want to have a chance to talk again for three weeks, and I'm French, that's very hard to do. For three weeks, no word out of my mouth. No word. Oh, that was difficult. <laughs> that was I believe French. it. <laughs> so, yes, yes, alcohol for sure. And how many? And the other drugs, the hard drugs, Mm -hmm. I stay clear of them because I grew up. It might have been a a field trip for some of your audience. Some of your audience, I was surrounded by pot fields. (laughs) They were growing pot farmland. Nobody looked in those back end. Like they were, there was pot everywhere, and I saw what it did, and what people did, and I was like, it scared the you know the daylight out of me. So, so how many years? Uh, were you drinking alcohol? I, that time when I, you know, it was so bad that, uh, and I think maybe you can relate, is, you know, when you drink to the point of intoxication that you can see your veins, like you're so pale that all the blue veins, it's, it's all popping because you're so dehydrated and everything. That time, before I went to see the doctor, I walked home. It was like five miles. And it was like minus 25 outside. And it was so freaking cold. It was a university. It was in New Brunswick. It was, it was so cold. And I walked home. I all, and along the way, I was like, never again. I am never drinking like this again. Whatever it takes, I will never drink like this again. And, and people told me, promise of a drunk. Promise of a drunk. She, 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 she won't. I never did. I stopped going out. I let go of a lot of my toxic friends. I started focusing on my studies. I was, I was uh, 19, 20 at the time. And uh, I never looked back. And the funny thing is now is like uh, I can barely hold my liquor. I have a glass of wine, two. I'm already tipsy. And I find everything funny. And I have zero censorship. So you can imagine how funny it gets. <laughs> this sounds just like my wife. <laughs> She's halfway through a glass of wine and she's done. Yeah. 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 That's me. <laughs> it sounds like me. Yeah. Well, what's what's beautiful uh, about that part of the story is that there's so much, there's a lesson in there. There's a few lessons in there. And, and really, that's what it takes for all of us. Um, at some point when we reach that rock bottom and you say, that's it, I'm, I'm never going to drink again. Um Typically speaking, there's 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 a big enough why, there's a there's a big enough why, and it, it it could have been the the walk in the snow, it could have been losing my vocal cords, it could have been any number of things, 
But then once you've established that why, I have to take some action. I have to get rid of my toxic friends. I have to get back into school. I have to change everything in my life. I, ba- I basically have to completely, I have to, I've been going down this road. It's not working. I need to pick another road. I need to take an entirely different road to change my life. So I'm, I'm curious too, what does your spiritual connection look like? What does your, what does your spiritual practice look like, um, especially going through what you went through? It's, uh, it's always evolving. Uh, like I said, I had to learn to feel again. And if you had asked me what spiritual, spirituality was back then, I would have told you sitting on a bench in a church somewhere, looking around. But now I realize that being spiritual is having an emotional connection with ourselves. It's that deep feeling of intimacy with who we really are. And this is something that I practice every day. I call them before I start coaching in the morning or I start working, whatever I'm doing. I make sure that I set 30 minutes aside and I have a conversation with my soul. It's a place where I ask for things. And it's also a place where I give thanks. And it's like uh, if you've ever seen a small child burying their face in their, you know, in their, in their mom or their dad's chest, it's like... My, my spirituality, it's me burying my physical face inward and just hugging my soul, hugging myself and coming from that place of service. That's what it looks like to me, what, an, what it feels like. What an incredible practice. It's a constant, it's a constant practice of, uh, of practicing compassion, love and compassion. Yes. It's very easy. Anyone can fall off the bandwagon anytime. I could sink into depression any any moment. We're never we're never cured in the sense that we have a mind and and so the best we can do is choose our thoughts properly. And for me is what I'm working on is to go internally before looking for an external solution, the next fix, you can say. Some people, that's what they call it. I go internally. What do I need right now? What am I feeling right now? What can I do to uplift myself? Because we all have funks. I had one this morning. I got up. I was a bit groggy. You know, I was funky. And I went on YouTube and I watched a four-minute four video on mindfulness. And it was, it was brilliant because he said one thing. It was by Dov Barron. And he said that a result of speed is lack of depth. And it hit me between the eyes. I was like, if I feel frazzled, often it's because I don't have what I want right away. I want it right now. But if I'm impatient, how much am I feeling? How much am I being with myself? So it's, uh, there are ways that we can uplift ourselves. We never have to stay in that hole. In the past, when I dip in that hole, I stayed in there, full victim. Now, how do my mentor calls it, like chip and dip? Would you leave your chip in the dip for 10 minutes? No, because it would become all soggy and it'd break apart. Then why do people think that staying in our shit 
wobbling in it, like, you know, that we're going to come out of it strong warriors. No, we dip in it, we feel, we take the lesson and we come out of it and we apply the wisdom. That's the secret to me. It's not how many times we fall down that matters. It's how quickly we get back up. How fast does that chip come out of the tip? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you must be great at a party. <laughs> like if I was at a party with you and we were standing in front no, of the chip like ball, I'd be like chips. <laughs> That's my dip. <laughs> no double dipping. <laughs> well, well, well. <laughs> well, What's incredible is um, I recently hired a uh, speaking coach to do public speech to do public speaking, and it's it's incredible that what was really preventing me from getting up on stage and delivering delivering a message was that I was so I was even even today, you know, forty eight years later, I was still stuck in the victim mode. So my delivery was coming from a dark place and I wasn't able to connect with the learnings. Like what you're talking about right now, I wasn't dipping and pulling out. I was dipping and staying in. And as, I, as, we were, as he was coaching me, he's like, you got to get out of there. You cannot stay in the victim role. You got to step out of it, right? You've got, to, you've got to relay a message and the message has to be how you overcame and and it was the most healing and cathartic moment of my life. I as as you're talking, I can feel that, right? I can feel your your presence strong, but in control. Like completely in control. I was like, damn, she's got this thing wired. Right? But yeah. but it's only it's only it's so wiring. <laughs> right. No, but but the thing is, it's only because I've I've been doing this now and I recognize I go, the power of being able to control that, right? To be able to go into that moment to create impact, right? And then circling to circling back to what the message is, because to what the learning I've is. Been, I've, I've been trained. Yeah. What you, what you don't see is that, like you, when I would dip into it, I'd stay there. Yeah. I'd be on stage bawling and like unable to breathe. <gasps> and, and, I, and I was wounding the audience because they were like, holy crap, how can she help me? She, she's, she's stuck. And, and we have to, to, so right now for me, as you speak, or when I, as soon as I stop speaking, I go internally. That's my training. Where is she? Where's my little girl inside? Where's this child? Where's my, I'm her champion. And as soon as I feel this connection again, I breathe and I'm ready for the next moment. We, it is, we can position ourselves in the moment. In every moment, we can position ourselves. All we need to do is check in. Where is she? For me, it's where is she? Where's that little girl? Yeah, for me, it's the eight-year-old. Yeah. It's the it's the it's the eight year old, and I got to check in with him, and I and I have. Yep. It. And know. if you do, you see them, and it becomes all that hurt. It turns into that crystal fuel. There's a, there's a shift, and I call it crystal fuel. People say like, "Gee, you're intense, woman," and I'm like, "It's passion. It comes together. Feeling is a tap." 
That's the first lesson my mentor gave me. Feeling is a tap. If we are afraid of our sadness or our anger or our rage, whatever it is, we're turning off the tap, which means that we are afraid of our joy. We are afraid of our peace. We are afraid of, of our freedom. We are afraid of, of like every positive feeling. We must be willing to feel it all. And this connection with me, with, with, with my inner self, it allows me to switch gears. It's the dip, feel the pain, switch gears. Crystal fuel, not on my shift again. I say it and you can see it. I mean it. I start vibrating. My, my resonance it rises. I have goosebumps. That's what allows us to deliver our message powerfully, to make that difference. Because people hear how we make them feel, all of us. Wow. <laughs> this is like, dude, this is powerful. Jesus. I'm like, blown away it's like wow <laughs> so I'm can you imagine five years ago six years ago i was a woman severely depressed who was like super bad relationship so freaking scared for her own life and to the woman i am today five years you are five. kidding me this is the Five years ago. yeah. This is this. That's that's the most important piece here. Yeah, that's the most if important. If I showed piece. you a video I did, I got I'm yelling. When he made that, when Morpheus made that crack, all my rage came out. I thought I, I couldn't watch my videos. I was scared of myself. I had fingers pointing. I was yelling. I I looked like 20 years older than I look now, and and it was that five years. And that there is something about rock bottom. We talked about it earlier. There is a safety in rock bottom. I told my mentor one day, I said, you know, I hit rock bottom so hard, but there's a safety in it. I came out of it. I can do it again and again and again and again and faster and faster and faster until rock bottom is no longer an option for me. God. That's how it works. So here, I'm, right? I'm curious. Okay, so yeah. when you dip, okay, you connect with those emotions. Powerful, right? I deliver that moment. I'm able to deliver that moment for the audience. But now I've opened it up. Okay, so then as soon as you take that breath, okay, you take that moment of reflection, and you go inside. What is it that you tell the little girl? I'm here. I am here right now. I'm here for you. I'm your, see my voice breaks. I'm your champion. And I pick her up. And I hold her solid. And it gives me strength. And it reminds me why I am here. And then I take my ego when we remain in victimhood, it's ego shit. And I move my ego aside and I serve. Because that's, I believe that anything bad that's ever happened to, to us is to train us. We all came here with a mission. I believe that. But we would only know 
what we came here to, to do. We only know what we're living. If I want to coach compassion, I must know what compassion is. I must live it, breathe it. I that's my belief. So I just happened, I must have had a tall order before I came into this world because holy crap, I must have ticked every box on that list of hardships. Because I've pretty much lived everything that somebody could think is horrible or heartbreaking or it's like been there, done that, overrated. Yeah. I want the fun stuff. Yeah, without a, without a doubt, with no question about it. Yeah, exactly. Right. I'm here to teach pretty much everybody because I have walked through a mire of shit that is for most people. Your mother, for example, did not find her way out of that. She did not. She's in her 80s. And uh, psycho the thing is with psychosis, it's very difficult to get over it. So even in her 60s, 70s, she had no uterus. She had a hysterectomy. Um, she still believes she's pregnant with the child of Jesus Christ. And uh, my, my, my father... Um, I had no relationship with him until he passed, like he passed away a couple of years ago. Um, but there, there comes a time where we need to make the tough choices. That's how we know if we're healing. How I see, if I know if my clients are healing, is their environment changing? Mm. If they think that they can still heal with that guy who said to them, wait for me till I'm married to my wife. Um, right. No. <laughs> But if but no, but you, you laugh, but many people it's it's like that. They, they, they it's crazy beliefs. And and but when I see the environment changing, the friends are changing, the job is changing, their salaries increasing, all that stuff, then I know they're on the right track. That's how I know. Our outer world is a metaphor for what's going on inside. That if is, I want to if yeah. I want to think that I am compassionate, all I have to do is look at my outside results. How strong are my boundaries with others? How easily do I say no without justification or excuses? How, how fast can I hold my ground under pressure? That's compassion for me. That's what tells me. So I look at my results. So within, so without. You know how that goes. Dude, this is just amazing. God, I, go to commercial. Right. <laughs> I seriously feel like I need to go talk to my eight-year-old. You know what I mean? Like, dude, it's going to be all right. It's gonna be <laughs> it is. But that's what we all want to hear. Yeah. We all uh, want to hear it, everything's going to be okay. I got you. I got you. It's going to be I all right. I got you. I got you. Yeah. Let's do that's it. How we can do this. So, so what's amazing is is your, your life journey is incredible. Um, a, a million questions, so I don't know where to begin. Um, but I think that that one of the things that, as far as just to stay on track, is this idea of these stories, because in many cases, um, our belief systems are like you say, like from the beginning the way I perceive the world, what my normal is, 
based on the situation is going to be different than somebody else's because the way I see normal is different than the way you see normal. So I create a story. This is normal. This is how, I guess this is how fathers are. I guess this is how being raised in this, you know, world is. I guess this is how things are. And, and you, you create or you, I guess you could say to a certain degree, you accept the, the, this, this horrific um, hand that you've been dealt in that moment because you know nothing else. Um, so stories kind of present themselves. So I'm curious, um, what were some of those stories that you believed about yourself, you know, the, the biggest limiting beliefs that you had or have had, um, and then what is it that you believe now? Uh, we all have a primary shame. We all have what we call like uh, it's a primary cause of shame. It's what causes us to do everything that we do. Uh, some people, it's I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. I'm a piece of shit or whatever it is. Oh, I'm unlovable. For me, my, the, my primary shame was I don't exist. I was an invisible child. I didn't exist in the eyes of others. I was only acknowledged when they, people wanted something out of me. My wants and my needs, it didn't matter. I didn't matter. So I believed that I didn't matter as a person. And, and to acknowledge, you say the way out of it was acknowledging my wants and needs. Can I share with you like a small story? How, how bad it was. Yes. Okay. I was in my mentor's office and he said to me, what do you need right now? That was years ago. I started shaking. No one had ever asked me that. And he was holding solid because I thought if I, if I tell him, he'll want something out of me. He'll want something. Everybody always wants something. That was my false belief back then. He was like, what do you need right now? And in a very low voice, I was looking at the ground, which is shame. I said to him, I said, I, I need a glass of water. And I burst out crying because I felt shame asking for a glass of water. That's how bad it was. And he said to me, get up and go give yourself a glass of water. And the whole, I'm walking towards the water cooler in his office. And the whole time I'm thinking he's going to say something, he's going to do something, something's bad's going to happen. But he just looked at me calmly and I took my glass of water and I drank it. So by giving, by giving myself providing to me like uh, giving myself what i needed i started seeing that i existed i started realizing that i matter and from that place i started little gradually building self-worth and self-worth became self-love and self-love became honoring myself forgiving compassion which allowed me to have this incredible vessel that can hold everybody else in compassion because i know what it feels like to be scared to ask for even a glass of water you're killing me you are killing me holy cow you know what's what's terrifying what's terrifying the most of that story is how much i can relate to it and I know that my listeners right now are, are driving in their cars or sitting at home and they're listening to that story and I know that place. I know that place 
of shame where I'm not comfortable even asking for a glass of water because I'm not deserving. And it's it so. Is, it is that, yeah. And when it's I am not, deserving, that's a powerful sentence. I am deserving. And to own it, it, uh, it takes a lot of self worth, a lot of self love, and a lot of forgiveness and compassion. You know, that's, that's, it, it's, it's, it could be the quickest thing in the world, um, that turnaround, should you choose to embrace it. Um, but there's this idea of being able to reframe the mindset, reframe the dialogue. So, you know, I'm not worthy, I'm not deserving, I'm not good enough, I don't matter, I don't exist. Um, and then there's that, there's that, the, the next set of dialogue, which is I do matter, I do exist, um, I am deserving. But for some people, that's a bridge, and for other people, it's a chasm of space between the negative and that positive reframe. Um, what is it for you? Uh, how do you help people bridge that gap? It's simple. Choice. I always have a choice. I love it. Oof. I have a piece of paper on the wall. You know what's written on it? I am choosing to feel this way. Wow. When I feel great... When I am happy, I landed that client, I landed that speaking, you know, keynote speaking engagement, I stand in front of it, I am choosing to feel this way. When I feel sorry for myself and I think others did me wrong, I go stand in front of it, I am choosing to feel this way. And sooner I realize, damn, it's always in my power. <laughs> Holy shit. It is choose. And for my clients, that bridge, it's a simple affirmation. I choose me. And they go, but that's selfish. Stop. That's centered self, not self-centered. Centered self, vastly different. It's okay to choose ourselves. It's by that I mean, it's okay to choose our well-being. It's okay to choose our sanity. It's okay to choose our peace, our freedom. We have the keys. Without the power of choice, those keys, they're free for all. And we handed those keys to so many people, whether it's a bottle of gin or, you know, some whatever drugs or the next boyfriend, girlfriend, that were toxic, stuff like that. But once we realize the power of choice, we hold those keys. We keep them. We cherish them. Because those keys, they're the ones that open the prison in our mind. And it sets us free. I have my keys. And I'll never give them again. That's personal power. <laughs> Do you guys... I, you guys are getting, I can't believe you guys, this is a free podcast. You believe you're getting this kind of, this kind of delivery? Recovery Dude, revolution, delivery. are not paying for this? People pay to hear me speak. Yeah, they're not paying for this. They are getting, they are getting gold through the sound waves right now. This is amazing. I choose me. 
this is this is where I work with people. An inability to chew themselves, so wrapped up in guilt, so wrapped up in guilt and obligation about what does not serve them. And from learned whatever, it could be school, parents, religion. It's this learned belief system. It's this program that comes in. And as soon as I choose me, I am programmed to feel guilty. And breaking this, this is why I asked you, by the way. <laughs> I'm like, did you want to be coach? I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, no, because I'm. This is something that we all have techniques, right? We all have techniques. Yeah. Oh, I do. I have a whole process. It's a five step process to change someone's belief. And so that's why I asked. Um, I don't know if you want to share yeah. that. Oh, I can share that. Bring it. It's, <laughs> pick a belief. Okay. Um, pick a belief that you want to break, that to break, or that you know your audience is deeply struggling with it. Okay. Um, and you're gonna be the advocate right now. Okay, I'm a victim. Okay. So the 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 thing is, I am a victim. What does victim mean to you? It means injustice. It means being picked on. It means being bullied. It means um, being small, scared, afraid. Pick one of the, all the terms that you said. Being bullied. Being bullied. Being physically bullied or emotionally bullied? Both. Do I have to pick one? Pick one. Uh, See, healing is Mm. specific. Mm. So that's something for the audience. Healing is always specific. The victim will will throw all that, will say, go in the room and pick up one piece of furniture, anything. And they come with the whole room. That's victim (laughs) mentality. So to heal something, we touch, I can hear you laugh. So to heal, to heal something, we must be able to touch it. We must dip in it. So it has to be specific. So you said physical or emotional? Emotional. Emotional. Okay. Being emotionally bullied. Where does that come from for you? When you say emotionally bullied, can you tell me, what did you hear that? What did you see that growing up? Uh, one. Picked on at school, made fun of, made fun of in school. So who made fun of you at school? Uh, okay. Well, one of the other boys. One of the other boys made fun of me. I, I'm having a hard time even remembering the names. Okay. So he, that person made fun of me. So we're all making this up. So that person made fun of you. What did they say exactly? Uh, does your mom still dress you? Does your mom still dress you? Okay. So what did that evoke, that feeling in you? Uh, not being good enough. When you were a baby, who dressed you? My mom. When you were a year old, who dressed you? My mom. Two years old. My mom. So your mom did dress you at some point, and that was okay. Yeah. So what made it not okay anymore? Well, at some point it becomes not okay for my mother to dress me. Did she? But did she dress you? Well, for you to believe that boy, mm-hmm. you, 
for you to feel hurt, to feel emotionally bullied by that boy, mm -hmm. you had to believe it first. No one can ever convince you on anything, of anything, unless you first believe it. Mm. So what made you believe that it was true, what he said? I chose to believe it. I wish the audience could see your face right now. Your eyes are going left and right and like you're assessing and, and you're like, this like, huh, I chose it. If you chose to believe that, you can choose something else. And I go into the next one. If you keep that belief, if you keep that event, a specific event, how is that affecting you? How long have you carried it? 40 some years. Did it work for you? How did that work for you? People go, <laughs> what would your life be like without that belief? <sighs> Light, liberating, free. Do you want that for you? Yes. Then choose a different belief that is specific to that. So what would you choose? The belief was that I was a victim, but it was never about I was a victim. That's a big statement. The specific item was my mom dresses me. So the belief now is I would be what? I? I dress myself. Yeah. Feel it. You're a grown-up man. I'm an adult. You've I'm been, a man. Yeah. You've been dressing yourself for decades. But false beliefs happened in the past. You know, arrested development happened in the past. And we drag it into the present. And that false belief, how old were you when that boy said that to you? Oh, man. It was before I was 10. So, I mean... We're talking, yeah, let's say 40 years. Yeah. So let's say before you were 10. So that belief is the belief of an eight-year, let's say eight, nine-year-old in mm -hmm. a grown-up man. Right. Wow. That, that, that immediate, you immediately are like, wow, that's kind of silly. <laughs> but, but it is. But to that child who got hurt, it means the world. Because what that child wanted, the reason why we carry our false beliefs forward with us and when we drag them into the present is that child wants the man in you to kneel beside him and say, you know what? It's okay. And you do dress yourself. It never does. It never doesn't matter what he thinks of you. What matters is what I think of you. That's the I love you and I'm here for you you feel and all of a sudden that silliness of that belief goes like well that was silly and then we start laughing at ourselves like how could I ever believe that but to that wounded child it is true they think it's always true but no that's what a limiting belief is we it's a blanket belief that we deem as true but we can easily poke holes in it just like I did Yes. Your mom dressed you. So you were like, huh. So it did happen. So that released some of the guilt and some of the shame. Because 
Of course my mom dressed me. She had to dress me. I wouldn't have walked butt naked when I was a baby. Oh my goodness, I would have stayed in my shit, in my diaper. Of course I needed someone to dress me. And that <laughs> gives you permission to, to like lighten up, basically. Yes. That's, that's, that's all it is. Healing, it's about specific events. It's always about specificity. And there's never, never anything that is uh, laughable or, uh, you know, because that's what caused the limiting belief in the first place. Hurt. Hurt that went unrecognized. This is gold. And I got a free coaching session out of the interview. <laughs> See what I'm talking about, folks? I choose me. Of course. <laughs> I choose me and I choose to feel fucking amazing. Thank you, Anne. You're deeply welcome. That was awesome. All right. So, guys, you have to rewind this one again. Listen to it a couple times. There is gold in here. All right. So, listen, Anne, if my listeners want to reach out to you, get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to, to find you and get in touch with you? Okay, my website is walkinginside, one word, dot com, because life's the journey within. Uh, I have some gifts for your audience. Ooh. Uh, yes, I'm the author of uh, 25 books, uh, The Emotionally Intelligent Way. So if they go on the website and they spin the wheel, they can get a free book. Ooh. And I also have another gift for them. If, they, uh, if they're listening to the show, subscribe. Uh, leave a review, like the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and then they can, uh, I'll send you the link where they can actually, uh, just a few questions, they can put their name for a sweepstake, and they, can, they will get one hour free coaching on the limiting belief of their choice. Look at that. That's huge. What's the name of your podcast? <laughs> I don't have a podcast. It's called Recovery Revolution. Oh, it's for me. <laughs> Yes. She's giving to me. Oh, guys. <laughs> Hello. Okay, so then you, this is a must. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again, Anne. Amazing. You're welcome. You're All welcome. Right. But you, I can be contacted on my website. There's a place which says connect, and there's my email address, phone number. All my details are there. All right. I love it. Okay. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, yeah, all social medias. All right. I am going to post this on the show notes, folks. So just go to Anne's show notes on the page, and I'll have her contact information, website, uh, social media listed on the page. So, um, wow, this is like whew, powerful, powerful. So we're, let, we're going we're gonna to start closing up. So I'm going to ask you a few more questions. Um, one of my favorite questions is one that, that uh, I got from Tony Robbins. And he talks about if you want to take the island, you got to burn the boats. You can't look back. You have to move forward. And so what was that moment? Everyone has that moment in their life where they say, that's it. They draw a line in the sand. They say, not one more day, not one more hour, not one more minute. I will no longer tolerate this in my life. What was that moment for you? When I hit rock bottom. When I hit rock bottom and I had no compassion, you know, that place of like you're completely, utterly alone, feeling alone and helpless and hopeless. It's nothing, nothing left. I had lost everything. 
everything that I had held dear. And to me, it became that turning point. I would learn to become committed. I would learn to stick with it. And, but not stick with just it, that it was me. I would see myself through whatever it takes. And that's what gave me that crystal fuel, not on my shift anymore. I am the warrior for that child. Oof. I did burn my whole life completely. And when I did, I, I remember it was November 2014, not that long ago, not even five years. And I looked at my mentor and I said, now what? I felt, I felt like, still, what am I going to do with my life? And he said to me, he says, you have a choice. I have a choice. You can rebuild that same shit that you did with the results that you had, or you can do different. So I burned all the boats. Oof. Because those boats, they, they tend to bring us back to what's familiar. And what's familiar is what is normal for us. Do you think I come back there? Oh, <laughs> God, no. Oh, yeah, that was a no-brainer. I'm burning every single one of these boats <laughs> to the ground. It's perspective. It's perspective. <laughs> All right, so, Anne, tell us about an aha moment that you had in your life when you realized you were now moving in the right direction. Huh. <laughs> That's a great question. I'm stumped. Um, Can't believe it. I know, eh? need to think about this for a moment. When I realized that what I deemed as truth was not the capital T-H-E truth, but a truth. Mm, wow. And all of a sudden, I thought about, for example, why the hell did I fight with all these people I wanted to be right? Be right about what? A truth? That put the, that shifted everything. So that moment that whatever we deem as true is only but a truth amongst infinite amount of truth. That's perspective. That's powerful. One word. It's not... Uh... The truth, it's just a truth. Yep. And it all just comes... like addiction, it's not who we are. It's a thing that we do. We are much more than the sum of our parts. Perspective. Perspective. Wow. Curious then, what are your three most powerful I am statements? I am that. I am. I am choosing to feel this way. I am worthy. That feels good. That feels good. It even it makes me. Yeah, it feels good, man. I felt that. <laughs> I felt it over here. <laughs> it's like, it's a, as soon as I start, I am, I, I start dipping. <laughs> <laughs> And then we pull out because we know what happens to that chip if it stays too long. <laughs> right. Oh, man. Okay. 
Um, what it? What do you have a favorite book that you would recommend to our listeners? Oh my goodness, the book that triggered the shit out of me in a great way. It's a book by Dolph Barron. It's called "Don't Read This. Your Ego Won't Like It." <laughs> it's brilliant. That that book it breaks it down to such a level of understanding, like what is self worth. What's the difference between self-worth and self-esteem? People think it's the same. They confuse it all the time. It drives me nuts. But when I read that, that book, The Difference, just that alone changed my life. And in that book, it's all about those things, how, how, to, how to move from victim to empowered. That's why the ego always wants victim. It sure does. But our soul wants empowered. So that, that book is like phenomenal. It's, it's gold nugget. All the way through. I've read it several times, probably six times. <laughs> I had a lot of learning. <laughs> I got to write this down. Don't read don't, this. Don't read this. Your ego won't like it. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm going to take a guess at this, right? So it's self-worth and self-esteem. So self-worth, I'm guessing, is and uh, my interpretation is, what is my value? What value? My, self, my self-worth is the value that I bring into the world. Self-esteem is uh, my behavior, the things, my actions, my, the, the, the actions, the positive actions in my life, or it could be the negative actions in my life. could be high, you know, self-esteem. It could be low self-esteem, high self-esteem. Self-esteem is, is more of an action of what you do. Man, I might have just tore that apart. I think I, I think I just completely I, I just got lost. Okay, self worth, value, <laughs> self esteem, some action, behavior. Okay. okay. Are you asking me? Are you yeah. telling me? What yeah, I-, I told you I was gonna. <laughs> I told you I premised this by I'm gonna take a guess. Self esteem is external. Self worth is internal. Self esteem is how we think others perceive us. So our self-esteem can be taken away at any moment. As soon as someone says to us, I don't like you, and you go, that's self-esteem. Self-worth is internal. It is our essence, what we call our intrinsic value, not the value we bring to the world, but we are we're born with it. No one can ever take it away. Not even you or me or any. I can never take my value, my internal value away. It's my soul. It's what I'm born with. It's my essence. So and when we tap into that, self-esteem disappears. We stop wanting the approval of others. And we build that relationship, that self-worth, our worthiness with ourselves. So in a nutshell, self-esteem external. Self-worth internal. I was close. Yes. <laughs> A plus. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. All right. That was fantastic. God, I'm getting that book. All right. So um, what is your personal success formula or blueprint for success? Feeling is living. If I, if I am feeling, I am being present. Mm. If, I am, if I am 
being present, then I am feeling my memories and feeling is relationships. The depth of our relationship, we build deep, meaningful relationships through feeling. So to feel, to, to have success, who gives a shit? I had 18 degrees and certification. I didn't even give a shit. I couldn't feel it. That's why I kept accumulating. I couldn't feel it. The moment I stopped and felt it, I dropped to my knees and cried. When I realized what that girl, even as fucked up as she was back then, what it, the courage it took for her to carry that through. When I started feeling for her. So for me, success, it's feeling. It's that simple. Because that's all that matters. I love it. It's hard to follow you. It's hard to follow you. All right. Two more questions. <laughs> wow. All right. What is the best advice you have ever received? Don't ever give advice. <laughs> you know why? <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Because advice is preaching. And we preach what we fail to do for ourselves. So when we give other people advice, is that shit we're supposed to be doing for ourselves. But we're not doing it, so we're telling others. What one of the, like my mentor says to me, show, don't tell. Oh. Telling is advice. If we're showing, we're living it. If we're telling, we're preaching. We're advising. I never give advice to my coaching clients. If they say, I want your advice, you have the wrong coach. Wow. You have, we have everything within to feel our truth. My job is to help people feel their truth. You are your best advisor. You know what you need. That's true. That is true. Mm -hmm. that, that is very true. God, you sounded so just... So that's my yeah. thing. Is, 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 yeah. is, this, is this your mentor also help you with your speaking? That sounds just like my speaking coach. Says the same thing. Uh, my mentor has helped me. I've been, uh, you know, after all I've gone through, I needed extensive therapy. I uh, sold my house. I went to see him and five years. I went five years into deep therapy with him every week, 90 minutes uh, a week. And I just hired him for a two-year contract, so seven years. People tell me, like, why? You, you're okay now. You're doing well. And I, we can always go deeper. We all have fears. And, you know, I just want to make bigger and bigger impact. Yeah, my mentor's name is Dov Barron. He is a fullmontyleadership.com. He's considered one of the top 100 leadership speakers to hear in your lifetime. There you go. Yep, yeah, there you go. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. Okay. All right. Well, we must surround ourselves with the people. We're the average. You know this. We're the yeah. average of the five people we hang out with. Jim Rohn. So that's why having a mentor with a high resonance, it matters. All right. What is one parting piece of wisdom you would like to share with our listeners? Watch your show. You have a great show. <laughs> yes. Yes. Tune in. Yes. We have these amazing guests that we bring on to the show, of course. And this has been amazing. That's all. 
The only word that can I, actually the only word that's surfacing right now is like this was an amazing interview, and I am so grateful to have you on the show. Oh, thank you so much. You've made it easy. Like this has been such a fun interview. I've really enjoyed myself. Thank you again for inviting me. That's how. That's my gift. Yeah. <laughs> that's my gift. The gift of connection. Yes. All right. All right, folks. We've now reached the end of our show. Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, Pura Vida. Pura Vida. Thank you for joining us today on the Recovery Revolution Podcast. For more information about the podcast, to access the show notes, join us in the Recovery Revolution, or to learn about one-on-one coaching with me, then go to www.omarpinto.com. Make sure to check out the website or schedule a free consultation with me today. It's time to join the recovery revolution.